When I preach at Shiloh, the first thing I do is put my Bible away. <laughs> we need a little more room on this pulpit. We need a workbench. Something for me to hide behind. All right. So Rod already prayed, so I guess I won't open with prayer. But uh, so today's Father's Day, so this is time for the Father's Day sermon. Have you ever noticed the difference between Mother's Day sermons and Father's Day sermons? They are quite a bit different, aren't they? Mother's Day, moms are the greatest, we can't get along without you, the world would fall apart, you're the glue that holds our lives together. Father's Day sermon. Father's Day sermon. Dads, this is what you've gotten wrong this year. Let's see if we can do better next year. That's the Father's Day sermon. So, <laughs> so on Mother's Day, mothers get carnations and roses. Do you know what the uh, official flower of Father's Day is? It's the dandelion. <laughs> do you know why it's the dandelion? It's because it's the only flower that grows better the more you tread on it. So, anyway, I did hear this week that AT&T says that on Mother's Day, they have the highest phone traffic of any day of the year. On Father's Day, they have the highest amount of collect calls on Father's Day. I told that to my mother this morning. I went over to the folks' house early this morning to see him, give my father his Father's Day card, and uh, I told that joke to my mother, and she goes, you should never call anyone collect. So, all right. Mm. All right. How many of you are familiar with James Dobson? Can you put your hand up if you are? A lot of you. I figured you would be. So he says, while I don't minimize the vital role mothers play, I believe that a successful family begins with her husband. So what that's saying is that the fathers are the foundation. And... You know, in our culture, I think, I think it's good that we take a day, a, a year, and preach to fathers and remind them how important they are. Because my entire lifetime, I'm in my 40s, I've heard preachers talk about how, you know, this culture is trying to always tell men how unimportant they are. And that's been true my entire life. And it, it's good for fathers to remember how important you are because a couple is one flesh, Right? So if you, you split that one person in half, you get half as much of the parenting that a child's going to need. So it's, a, it's an even partnership, really. It's God's design. So today, uh, the sermon... Let me see if I can remember how to run this. Up arrow? Nope. Button one. There we go. Three kinds of fathers. I asked my parents if they could... Uh, figure out what the three kinds of fathers was, and they knew. Between the two of them, they figured out three points. So uh, hopefully they laugh at that later when they hear me say that. So three kinds of fathers. Our heavenly father, who's perfect. Our earthly fathers, who are imperfect but vital. Our spiritual fathers, who we need more men to be. Now, I hope that Looking for a few minutes at God the Father, I hope that that just gets us closer to our Father so we can worship Him better. Uh, we're only going to spend a few minutes on each of these points. I hope that the, when we look at our earthly fathers, I hope it just encourages the men at what a big role you play and how important you are and 
when we get to that third point, I hope that we understand just how important it is for people to have a spiritual father, to be a spiritual father to others, and we'll talk about that when we get there. So we're going to begin in the Psalms. I may not say every single reference, but every one of the scriptures comes from the NAS, and uh, we're just going to go through these fairly quickly. I want to show you some things about God to start off. A father of the fatherless, a judge of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. So some of us in here, I had a great father. My father was a pastor. Uh, he did a good job as fathers go, uh, and I appreciate what he did for me and for my mother. He made a lot of sacrifices for us. So there are good fathers, there are bad fathers. I know some of the testimonies in here talk about how my father was not a good father and how he was dysfunctional and abusive. And then there are some people that never had a father. So the point is, is boil this all down. If you're saved, you do have a father now. And actually, he's perfect. So if, if there's any question about, God, what are you up to in my life? It's good to just go back to these scriptures to, to be reminded, if there's a problem, it's on our end. It's our limitations of being able to understand what a great father he can be. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame that, we're, that he, he is mindful that we are but dust. That's one of Stan's verses that he brings up a lot. And it's important because if God is not a compassionate God, everybody goes to hell. If God's not a compassionate father, then we have... Uh, in ancient mythology, all the gods were cruel. Christianity and, and the, the scriptures of the Old Testament totally took a 180 from that approach. We have a God that is willing to be compassionate to someone that looks to him and wants to obey him. So we get up to the New Testament. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. It's kind of like mercies come from God like your kids come from you. Without God, there is no mercy in the universe. God of mercy is exercised in our lives, and the God of all comfort. How much comfort? Without God, there's no comfort. Good fathering. So he says, who comforts us with all, in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The comfort that he gives his children is supposed to be passed on. That's his design. When we get to spiritual fathers later on in the sermon, that's going to be one of the great things that you can do as a mentor, a spiritual parent. And by the way, ladies can be spiritual mothers. Passing on the comfort that God has given to you. The idea, by the way, when we get there, of a spiritual mother or father is someone that's mature enough to be able to pass on their experiences and their knowledge of Scripture. So the idea is if you're mature enough to be at that point, you've experienced this comfort tangibly in your life so that you can pass it on to others. And then in 1 John, see how great a love Feel free to chime in on those key words with me. How great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. God of the universe is my Father. That makes me a prince of the universe. That's why I always call my wife princess. She's the daughter of the king. She rules. <laughs> 
You should have seen our house last weekend. We were moving this furniture to that room and that to the, over here. Princess was in charge. All right. So if you've got your Bible, feel free to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I encourage you to bring your Bibles. I bring mine so I can compare uh, with my version and my notes and read along. Verse 5, Hebrews 12. This text is about how God is our Father and the way that we know that He loves us. I mean, He can say in 1 John that He loves us, but what's the proof? The proof is here. The proof is the correction. Because if He didn't correct us, we wouldn't know that He loves us. We wouldn't. Have you forgotten the Hebrews in the context of this book of the Bible, they had forgotten a lot of things. Paul, or whoever wrote this, is reminding them. The exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. Now you notice the all caps. and This comes from Proverbs uh, chapter 3, 11 and 12. That's why it's in all caps. And it says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. So discipline, that word in Greek, can mean training, instruction, correction. So do not regard lightly that God is trying to make you better. That's what a parent is doing at all times. Excuse me. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. And He scourges how many? Every son whom He received. Any child. So that means that no matter how much we pray... See, so when I was a younger Christian, I would always be praying, God, please just give me as much wisdom and capacity as you can so I don't have to learn lessons the hard way. Please let me not be a foolish child that has to go through the hard stuff. And I think God saved me from a lot of stuff, but we all know with time, the only way He's going to teach you certain lessons in life is by experience. So there was no way for me to get around the scourging because I am one of the every sons. So we all have to experience scourging. Um, that word scourging is serious because uh, it's, it's a Greek word that means to flog with a whip. Um, it's meant to get our attention. It is serious. God knows exactly what He's got to do in our life to correct us. And he's willing to apply it. There are some parents that are scared of doing what they got to do as a parent. God's not afraid. Because he knows what we can take. He knows what we need. He knows how to apply it. Is there anything he doesn't know when it comes to being a parent? No. He knows it. He uses it. And he's not afraid. Because he knows. He knows. See, when a parent disciplines, they're guessing. Is this going to work? You know, this child has this temperament, that child has that temperament, this, temp this scourging worked with this child, will it work with that one? God knows every brain cell that we have. He gave us our soul, so he knows exactly what will work, and he uses it, and it works. God's not a failed parent that tried his best, and kids still turned out wrong. He doesn't do that. So... It is for discipline that you endure. You're going to have to endure God's correction. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? We're going to see in a few minutes that earthly fathers discipline children because they love them. And if they don't, 
then they won't. And if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So we look at the lost, and they seem to never have a single problem in life. And we go, what's the deal? I'm doing everything the best I can for God's glory. These lost people, everything in their life, they catch a break. This says, don't envy them because the fact that they have everything perfectly laid out for them is evidence that they're not gods. If they were gods, he would correct them because he corrects every single child he's got. I'm kind of getting off track a little bit, but you remember John 15? He says, he prunes every bush. You're the vine. Uh, we're the branches. He prunes every one of us. We can't get around it. So when the lost seem to be flourishing and we're struggling, they're to be pitied, not to be envied. Furthermore, we had uh, earthly fathers to discipline us. We respected them. Amen. I hope we respect our fathers. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. It's good to remember that when we're disciplining or when we're receiving discipline. It's temporary. Uh, we're going to be in heaven before we know it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. He disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. What's your goal in the Christian life versus what is God's goal for you? Well, I want to see my prayers answered. I want to reach souls. I want to do a lot in the community. God's goal for you is holiness. You see it? So that we may share His holiness. The next verse builds on that. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. God's number one priority for His children is to grow in their sanctification to become more like their big brother, Jesus Christ. Now, when we're in the middle of it, it can be difficult. God, what are you doing? I've tried to live for you. I've tried to please you. You're still correcting me. So in the emotion of the moment, uh, we can resist God. We can get frustrated. But if we know this text and we go back to this text in moments of hardship, I believe that if we sit down and really focus on it, the logic can take over. And then we can say, God, all right, by faith I know. This is for my good. And guess what? Even though I'm frustrated, I'm going to thank you. Because you're at work in my life, and if you weren't, I'd be in trouble. It's hard to do that when the hard times are coming. When God's laying a stripe on you. But I think that when we remind ourselves of this, we realize all of a sudden, this is making me better. Now that's how the Heavenly Father works. God the Father has love, has compassion. He's the God of all comfort. He's the God that corrects. Now the earthly fathers. So, instructing and correcting children is the early earthly father's call from God. Literally, fathers, this is, this is like one of the top things that fathers do. They teach. They teach not just how to fix the washing machine when it breaks down, not just how to plant a garden and reap a crop, 
not how to build a boat. I built boats with my father's. Not how to build a car. We're teaching children how to live for God. Teaching children how to love God. Because sinful little kids will never on their own, without the work of God and without the work of their parents in their life, they're never going to learn to love the Lord. It's not in our nature to love the Lord. It's not in our nature to fear God. It's not in our nature to be anything other than a a self-centered human. So fathers teach. And that's what the book of Proverbs, most of it, is all about. Uh, If you're wondering, how do I parent a kid? How do I mentor grandchildren? How do I become a spiritual parent? Read the book of Proverbs. Read a a chapter a day. And uh, it's all about the wisdom of how to do that. So we start in chapter 1. Hear my my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. So hearing, children need to hear. When I was a kid, my parents would be like, listen, listen to me. Will you listen? And it was like, uh, I had too much earwax or something. I just couldn't hear what they were saying. (laughs) My son, observe. Don't just listen, look. Some people learn by looking, listening, and doing. There's like three different kinds of learning, and you've got to figure out what your kid, is, uh, how he learns. Observe the commandments of your father. Do them, in other words. Do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck like a valuable pendant or ring or something of value that you'd put on a string and put around your neck. That's what the teaching of your parents is. It's something that's like so valuable you keep it right on your heart at all times. And it's difficult sometimes to develop that, uh, that hunger in a child, but that's why you've got 18 years to do it. You've got time. If you're diligent, it'll work. And when you walk about, they will, be, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. Meaning the principles of character that you apply during the day keep you safe at night. Uh, when you're a thief, when you're, when you're a person of sin, you can't sleep well at night. They will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. And for by the commandment is a, a lamp and the teaching is light and reproofs of discipline are the way of life. If you don't get a hold of a child early, what happens to them? Their entire life is ruined. You know, the, the doctors... The pediatricians, they talk about how kids learn more in the first year than they're going to learn at any other time in the second year, in the third year. By the time they're five, they know 90% of what they're going to need to know. You've got to start early. The stuff that's important. So this issue of integrity. Uh, discipline your child while there is hope and do not desire his death. Start early. Start while there's hope. Sometimes parents think, when they're old enough, I'll send them to Sunday school, and when they're old enough, I'll send them to school. That's far too late. I mean, you're, you're most of the way down the road at that point. The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied without uh, untouched by evil. So I didn't realize it until I was an adult, but one of the goals that my father had 
for me, and I'm not a father, so what I do on Father's Day is I preach about the good fathers that I've seen around me and the example that they've been. And I didn't realize that my father wanted me above all to learn to love the Lord and live for him. And later on, he told me that was my goal. I wanted you to learn to just love the Lord and follow him. And, as I, and I bought into that. I used to preach to, to parents, teach your children to love the Lord. If they can just love the Lord, they'll live for him. A lot of parents, you know, they teach all kinds of stuff from the Bible, but that intimate personal relationship doesn't land. And, but there was, all of a sudden I, I looked back and I realized there was a point in my teenage years when I was full of that teenage rebellion and I was like, I really want to go down this path. I don't need to get into the details. It was a path of selfishness, worldliness, wickedness, pleasures of sin. I remember standing out on the front yard and thinking about this as a teenager. Over here, godliness may not have all the stuff in this world, but living for God, doing what's right, living for His kingdom. And the only thing that kept me going toward God and not going the way of the pleasure that kept me from being the prodigal son, the only thing was the fear of God. That's what this verse says. The fear of the Lord leads to life. My parents had trained me to fear God. And I bought into it. I was about 14, 15 years old at that point, and I had bought into it enough to know if I go down that path, I risk the wrath of God the chastisement of God, the scourging of God. And I thought back about all the years that my father took his oak stick to me. Consistently, lovingly, fairly, as a good example. And I thought, God is far more capable of causing me pain if I go down that wrong path. It was the only thing that... Now, I made a lot of sins and a lot of mistakes, and I... But the, that path in life, you have these moments in your life when you got choice A, choice B. And for me, it was the fear of the Lord. So that's what I always try to, now that I've thought back about my life, I try to exhort parents, teach your children to love the Lord, teach your children to fear the Lord. I think if you can get those two things ingrained in their brain and they buy into it, between those two things, I think that they can live a fairly godly life. It may not be a perfect life. They may do some things along the way, but I think overall... Those are some of the fundamentals that need to be there. So fathers, I exhort you on Father's Day. Teach those things. A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons. You walk integrity because your children need an example. Your daughters need an example of the kind of husband they need to look for someday. Your sons need an example. My father, I've never heard my father cuss once in my life. The integrity of his example is something that I put before me even now I'm in my 40s. So I exhort you men. Now, have I put enough pressure on you so that you feel like, I could never live up to this? That's not the point of this sermon. You can do it. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to take one day at a time. The rod and re So God puts a rod on us Earthly fathers put a rod on their kids. The rod of reproof gives wisdom. But a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. 
Correct your son, and he will give you comfort, especially the older you get. Will, uh, he will also delight your soul. When, you, when you're putting the, the rod on the kid when he's little, you're doing it anticipating 20 years later. Because when he's little and you have to do those uncomfortable things, how many of us have heard this one? This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And I'm sitting there going, okay, you know, it's like you're a liar. I didn't believe that for a long time. My father was thinking, he was looking at me and he was thinking, this four-year-old one day is going to be 34. Right now it's okay that he's acting like this because I'm shaping the clay into that. Long-sighted. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. All the parents said, amen, amen. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. By the way, um, you notice what the Bible does not command as acceptable punishments for children? You've ever thought about it? It doesn't say, send them to bed without their supper. That's cruel. I mean, you've got to feed the kid. They're growing. Send them to bed without their supper. Make them stand in the corner. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of them here. Uh, make the, uh, give them a timeout. Wash their mouth out with soap. Put them on restriction. Ground them for a week. None of that stuff's listed in the Bible. Have you ever noticed that? It's like we do every single possible method of correction except what the Bible says. The Bible just narrows it right down to one thing, Rod. Amen, Rod? Rod. Send Rod to your kids, and he'll take care of them for you. <laughs> the rod of correction. One thing, you ever thought about that? Apply your heart to discipline and your ears to words of knowledge. Do not hold back discipline. Don't hold it back. Because it's difficult to discipline. But you won't regret it later. Although you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If I spank him, God says, no, trust me, he'll live. Verse 14, you shall strike him with a rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. How many kids died young because their parents didn't correct them when they were young? Teenagers, overdoses, crime, young adults going to prison. I mean, extreme examples. Unwanted pregnancies, unwanted diseases. There's such a long list because when the kids were young, the parents were afraid of doing what needed to be done. Fathers, do not we're going to move to the New Testament. Do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose hope or lose heart. I was reading a commentary. It had like a list of 10 different things that losing heart can represent. I decided to just narrow it down to two things. Because I think that it, there's two things that really stand out in my mind. One, how do you make a child lose heart? You do everything for them. And when you do everything for them uh, to the point that everything that they want is at their fingertips, you make them lazy, you, you make it so that they don't understand the value of hard work, the value of a dollar, the value of 
personal involvement. They just think, this is just going to happen. If I just sit here, everything's going to work. And I'll just... You're, you're taking the heart of passion to achieve out of your child without even knowing it. And the other extreme is the parent that every time the kid wants something, the parent says, nah, I don't think so. Eh, not this time. And if you never let your kids ever do anything, they grow up to be people that say, well, I'd like to start my own business, but... What good will it do to try? I probably won't even get anywhere. It's because they were brainwashed as children that they can't do that. You can't do that, and you can't do that, and you can't do that. It's like two extremes. And whatever example you can think of in your mind, it's very easy for parents to exasperate kids, take out their heart. And I think we got a lot of this going on in our culture. People in their 20s, 30s, millennials, Gen Zs, that it's like, come on, people, get with it. I wonder how many of them had their father knowingly or unknowingly cause them to lose heart. He said, I don't want my kid to grow up with nothing. I want them to have everything I didn't have. And then when they get to be adults, they don't know how to keep all the stuff you've given to them. Anyway, so summary of earthly fathers. The earthly father instructs corrects, prepares the child for a successful godly life without, ever prov uh, without over-providing and over-protecting the child. So now we go on to our third kind of fathers, and that's the spiritual fathers. And I'm going to show you some like really quick verses, one right after another, because I don't know, I don't hear this taught a lot. Maybe you guys have had it taught to you. There's a lot in the New Testament, especially about people being spiritual fathers and spiritual children. And I didn't realize until I sat down and looked at all the verses how much there was about this. So we're going to go quickly. This starts off with the Apostle John saying, For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to you. So he's talking about the brethren, that's the saved people, testified the truth to you, that is how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of, the ch of my children walking in the truth. The greatest joy of John's life was his spiritual children. There's a lot of joy that comes in being a spiritual mentor. Just like being a physical parent. i got to keep this windpipe of mine from drying out. Paul here in 1 Thessalonians, he says, But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. So Paul's a man, but he's comparing himself to a, a mother. So there's this spiritual motherhood that can happen for the ladies as well, tenderly caring for the people in the body of Christ. And then you skip up in the same chapter, verse 11. It says, Just as you know how we exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a what? A father would his own children. Encouraging, imploring, exhorting. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up hearing about Nana and Gramps. And it wasn't until I was a much older along that I realized that these people had no blood relation to me at all. They were the Turners. And 
what, what it was is my parents, when they were young in the faith, got saved less than a year after they got married. Dad was in the Navy, and one of his Navy shipmen was a guy named Jim, Jim and Jim. And he said, come on up sometime and meet my parents. Cause, and Jim was saved, went up and meet his parents, his parents named Lou and Nathalie. And instantly, this spiritual parent-child relationship formed. My grandfather, Lou, he's still alive. He's 96 now. And they were such tight spiritual grandparents to me because they were mentoring my parents and grandparenting me. I didn't even know they weren't blood relatives for a long time. And what they did is, this verse 11, they encouraged, they implored, they exhorted these young Christian family, Jim and Ruth, my parents, so that they could learn how to live out this Christian life, how to be good parents. I was going to tell you earlier, and I kind of forgot, you know, some of the things that fathers need to teach their children, it's, it's not only love the Lord, fear the Lord, it's love the book, live out the principles of the book, learn how to be a good employee, learn how to treat your employees with respect, learn how to treat women with respect. When you go out on your first date, son, this is how you treat a lady. This is not what you do. This is how you do it when you're married to that lady. How many of you guys are ready to mentor your teenage son ahead of time so he's ready for his first date? So he's looking for his future wife, not just some girl to fool around with. And a lot of these principles of exhorting and imploring, these young Christians have no idea what to do. But they got somebody that they can get really close to one-on-one -on -one in their family across from the table with a cup of coffee and a donut and learn how to live life according to not what their parents taught them, but what the Bible's teaching them. So look at Galatians. My children, with whom I am uh, again in labor until Christ is formed in you. It's a picture of a woman giving birth to a child. And Paul says, I'm in labor. You're my children. I'm giving birth to a church. And that's how close and how intimate I feel with you. He talked about Philemon and Onesimus. I appeal to you, my child Onesimus. That was a slave that belonged to Philemon. And he says, I know that you think of him as a slave. Now you've got to start thinking of him as a brother in the Lord because I think of him as a child in the Lord because I led him to saving faith. But you know his proven worth that he served. Now this is talking about Paul talking about Timothy. And there's so many references of Paul talking about Timothy as a spiritual child that I just picked this one. You know of his proven worth. That's my boy, this Timothy. That he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. See, when you become a spiritual child, you also have the opportunity to serve your spiritual parents. That's what Timothy did to Paul. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 14 and we're going to we're going to wrap up the sermon in this text for just a few verses. 1 Corinthians 14. And we talked about how God the Father chastens His children. And we talked about how earthly fathers chasten their children. Now we've got to talk about spiritual fathers and how they correct their children. Spiritual fathers have to correct their children as well. So that's what this whole text is about. I do not write these things to shame you. 
meaning I'm not picking on you. I care about you. Sometimes, a lot of times in churches, the pastor is pictured as a spiritual father. And some of you have been to churches where you see spiritual fathers that are like always putting the people down and always making them feel bad. And you guys need to listen to me and do every little thing I say. And they're, they're overbearing. Paul says, that's not my point. My point is your benefit. I'm not writing to embarrass you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. I wouldn't correct you if I didn't care about you. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. That phrase right there is very, I think it's more important in our day than it was in Paul's day. And and if I'm starting to lose you, if the the seat's a little too comfortable and this is where I want to grab your attention. Are you all with me? This This is a practical point. And as a pastor, not your pastor, but as a pastor, I want to make this point and really make it come clear to you. In our day, what we've got going on is satellite churches, online teachers, radio, TV preachers. We've got more books than we can read written by multitudes of respected preachers. You've got this long list of solid Bible teachers like John MacArthur. You've got heretics like names I wish I could name. And there's just so much out there. Look at the verse. Read it, look at it on the screen with me as I read it. If you were to have countless tutors, that's all this stuff that's available to us. A lot of it's good because it's tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. You know why church in person matters? There's a lot of reasons. But one reason is because you're going to have an elder, a teacher, a pastor, a spiritual father, In this case, it's Stan and Rick and Ron. And they're going to get to know you as their spiritual children. They're going to get to know your strengths, your weaknesses, things you don't know about the Lord yet, things that they need to teach you. They're going to get to know you personally, and they're going to go, let me show you this about the Lord. All those internet guys can't do that for you. They're the many tutors. And people say, I'm growing in the Lord. I'm listening to David Jeremiah and Charles Stanley every day, and I'm doing just fine. Those guys don't know you. You need a father in the Lord that gets to know you and helps you personally. And that's what a good pastor does. So I think I've made that point, and I hope you agree with it. Because if we think that church is fine just online, we've missed the mark. We've got to get together with believers We've got to shepherd spiritual children, and we've got to learn from spiritual fathers. Let me finish the verse. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. There's a bond with these people, with Paul. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this, And by the way, we need to have men that we can imitate. Let me back that up. Your goal as a man or woman in the body of Christ is to get to the point where you can say that to somebody. I'm not perfect, but come with me and look to me as I look to the Scripture. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways 
which are in Christ, just as I teach everyone in every church. Now, some have become arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. When the cat's away, the mice will. When Paul's away, the Corinthians do what they want. And they get full of themselves. In this case, the job of this spiritual father is to come along and pop that hot air so it can leak out of these Corinthians and they can get down to earth. Because any true Christian has absolutely zero right to be arrogant. Amen? If God wasn't keeping our anatomy together, we'd disintegrate. If He wasn't saving our soul, we have nothing that we can do without Him. No room for arrogance. I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And shall I find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power, meaning you guys think you're hot shots? It's not what you say, it's what you do. Faith without works is dead. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. There's a lot I could say about that, but... When people say a lot of stuff, but they don't follow through. In 21, what do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Spiritual fathers have to lay down the rod, just like the earthly father and the heavenly father. Now, a, a guy not close to the heart of his heavenly father, a spiritual leader, can do a lot of damage with that. Isn't that true? What are the things that a good earthly father uses the rod for? It's pretty simple. It's heresy. Stan's job is to watch the congregation so that no one comes in here and starts teaching that Jesus' father was a Roman soldier. Jesus, born of a virgin, Stan's going to make sure that that heresy doesn't enter the church. There are other heresies he's going to be on the watch out for. What are some other things he's going to be looking out for? See, some leaders don't understand that there's a term called liberty in Christ, and they want to micromanage everything you do. But Stan also knows that in the next chapter, if you had your Bibles open right now, you'd see chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, and the next thing that Paul talks about is some people are having incest in the church, some people are drunkards in the church, and so the idea is this, the rod is this, it's against heresy and it's against blatant, unrepentant, obvious sins. It's not about micromanaging your life, it's about the clear, obvious stuff that we can't let infect the church like a cancer. So, the end. We've reached the end. It comes down to this. If you're listening, say amen. Amen. All right, it's very simple. Find someone who knows more than you and learn from them. Find someone who knows less than you and teach them. And you don't have to sit down and lecture people to teach them. You spend time with them and they watch by example. It's not difficult to be a mentor. It's not difficult to be a learner. It doesn't have to be a formal lecture. It's let's do life together. Just like parents do everything with their kids. When I was growing up, I'll end with this. 
I was an only child. My parents didn't believe in wasting money on babysitters. So I went everywhere with my dad. As a kid, I worked on the lobster boat. I drove around in diesel trucks. I worked on diesel engines. My father has a video of him and I rebuilding an 871 Detroit when I was 10 years old. <laughs> That's how you... If, don't send your kids for someone else to raise. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to get into your life and that's not my point. But the point is, is when you're a spiritual mentor, all you got to do is do life together and you learn things from each other. Just like when you're with your kids, just doing life together. And I thought it was boring. Why do I have to work on this boat? Why do I have to? But by the time I was uh, nine years old, I was working like a full deckhand on a lobster boat. So... It was easy for me to take up my first job. It wasn't like a shock to my system. Oh my goodness, a job? I had my own traps when I was 10 years old. <laughs> I was, a, I was a, an entrepreneur. So if we all do life together, things will become great. So I've taken a lot of time. Would you stand with me and we'll close in prayer and then the music team can come up. Bow your heads with me. Father in heaven. I hope that this is uh, practical information. Where people need inspiration, grant it. Where people need correction, grant it. Where we need conviction, whatever we need. Pray that you'll bless Pastor Stan as a spiritual father. Help him to see great fruit for his labor. I pray the same for others in this congregation that mentor. And for those of us that want to learn, we pray that we will so that one day we can share with other younger believers. Please bless these fathers. Help them to be encouraged if they're discouraged. Help them not to compromise. Help them not to be harsh, not to discourage their children. Help them to just have the wisdom moment by moment to be able to show their children, their sons, their daughters, everything that they'll need to be able to live for you and have a successful, joyful life as an adult. Please don't let them get discouraged. Father, none of us are done yet. We're, you're, you're our Heavenly Father. You're still molding us as adults. And I pray that there would never be a spirit among us of complaint or criticism. And we would all just realize you're still working on every one of us. We're all still children of some shape or degree. But Father, please do help us work in us so that we can lessen the amount of time and heartache that there could be. And we thank you for how good you are to us in Jesus' name. Amen.